Are you new to investing, wondering whether or not you can self-manage your properties? Let us tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a really awesome property management software that can help you grow and handle every aspect of your real estate business. Rent collection, tenant screening, maintenance, lease signing, listing. Honestly, it has everything. Yeah, how long do you think we've been using RentReady for ourselves? About five months. Yeah, about five months. It's been awesome. We do use their push notification system to send notifications to tenants. We collect rent from our tenants right through the app. And we're actually about to use their new feature, their 24-7 maintenance software called Latchel. And a Latchel will allow you to remove yourself as the landlord, as the middleman between your tenants and maintenance calls. So the tenants can directly call a maintenance line and they will dispatch contractors right to the property. We should also mention that RentReady is unlimited. All their plans are flat price. This essentially means you can keep adding properties to your portfolio without having to pay more. You can close on all the properties you want and RentReady's price stays the same. The best part is RentReady's given us an amazing deal to pass on to our weekly Juice listeners. You guys, everyone listening, can get 50% off a RentReady plan at RentReady.com when you use our code JUICEPOD. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code JUICEPOD. J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D at rentready.com and you can get 50% off any plan. If this is your first time here, welcome. During our shows, we interview successful entrepreneurs and investors to spread knowledge, advice, and actionable tactics to help others in the pursuit of financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned along the way in the hopes that these stories help you along your journey. Tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. If you've been here before and like what you've been hearing, please subscribe, share with friends, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That goes an extremely long way for us. It's simple. Just click on your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on the reviews and let us know what you think. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod for daily content and personal finance tips to assist in your journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, Ryan and Corey here with another episode for you. Today, we have on special guest, Matt Porcaro. Matt's a part-time real estate investor, full-time electrical engineer, and he specializes in teaching people how to take advantage of the special 203K loan. Um, we had an awesome time with Matt. He really peeled back the layers on this, this specific loan. And it's kind of cool because Corey and I are going through a very similar loan with our newest deal under contract. And uh, it was perfect timing. Yeah. Ours is like the investing version of the 203K, which is mostly owner-occupied, but Matt's a wealth of knowledge. And it's very, very niche specific in how to get people to essentially start their real estate investing journey. We always talk about house hacking, but whoa, man, like 203K, like that is an game changer. Listen to the episode because he talks about turning $9,000 into 130 grand in equity in his home in his first deal. So- we always, great. yep. We always talk about house hacking as like the first way to go. And this is essentially a live in flip house hack. Yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's a hybrid and it's, we knew about it, but he broke everything down. So definitely listen to the whole episode. He's got some great stuff. Let's bring him in. Matt, welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have you here as part of the weekly juice. What's up guys. Glad to be here. Super excited. Talk a little bit more about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you could just give people a little background on yourself Pre real estate, like who you are, where you're from and you know, how you got in. Cool, man. Uh, yeah. So, um, 
I love that. Why don't you, you dial me all of you back before real estate? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I grew up in a, I grew up in a working class family. Um, you know, I think one of the drivers of why I got into real estate investing and why it was so attractive to me was because, uh, my dad was a, still is a general contractor, had his own business. Um, very small mom and pop shop, like literally him and my mom ran it and they had like one extra guy and that was them. And it really always kind of stayed that way. So kind of small outfit. So, um, the economy is a very big teller of how good our lives were doing at any given time. Um, you know, like we saw a lot of good times, but we also saw a lot of really rough times. Um, so, you know, when times were good, they were good. And when they were bad, they were pretty bad. And that volatility, um, growing up was kind of something that I always wanted to stay away from. Right. So like, that was like, so from a young age, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be successful. I knew I wanted to make money. And obviously my parents wanted the same for me. So, you know, they did what any other parent would do with conventional wisdom. They're like, just do good in school. You don't want what we have. Having your own business is a nightmare. You don't want this. You want to go work for a company and get a paycheck every week. Um, so I, I did that. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school and trying to find, um, you know, what, what careers to go in, I pretty much was like, what can I make the most money in? <laughs> and, um, and, 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 and like also like, and then would it be anything I'm marginally interested in? So, um, it, it's kind of funny. I suck at math. Uh, but, um, I'm really good at science. I'm like kind of an anomaly like that. So when, when my, like, you know, we were working with my guidance counselor and they were telling me like, Oh, okay, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, your grades kind of don't make sense because you're really good at English. You're pretty good at social studies. You're God awful at math and you're really good at science. So like, they're like, you ever think of engineering? I'm like, I don't know. Like, and she's like, oh, it's one of the top paid careers and you can only get it and you could do it in four years. You don't have to go to like graduate school or anything. I was like, hell yeah, I want to do engineering. I don't care. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, whatever it was. So I, I, you know, I started applying to schools and you know, my grades were decent enough and I got into school for engineering and, um, you know, I, I, I went through it. I'm kind of the person where like, I'm not, I'm definitely not the smartest guy. I'm, I was pretty bad at studying, but I'll do whatever I have to do. And I, somehow got out in four years, um, got a job right out of school. Cause thankfully engineering is always in uh, a, in a high demand. So, you know, got a job right out of college, right, right after the, right after pretty much 2008 hit. So I was lucky to have a, have a job right out. Um, but very quickly got bored with it. Um, and, uh, and, and that kind of led me down this rabbit hole of like, okay. Um, well, number one, you know, I knew I, re I realized very quickly that like getting a paycheck was cool, but then it was also like, wait, but if I work harder, I don't make more. And that was kind of what I, what I grew up around. Right. So I, you know, me being that type of personality, I just went out and started like looking at other ways to make money. Like, how can I supplement this? Like engineering was cool, whatever it was fine, but I, I, I get bored easily. So I just went out and I started trying out all other, you know, going down the Google rabbit hole of trying to find ways to make money and, uh, you know, found all kinds of things, you know, penny stocks, options, e-commerce stores. I mean, you, you, you name it. I probably tried it, uh, sans a couple things, um, and tried and failed on a lot of stuff, right? A lot of the stuff, I'm super gullible. I, I tried a lot of dumb stuff that probably anyone with half a brain would know that was probably a scam. Uh, but I did it cause I'm just that type of person. I want to try everything. Um, and so I did. And, and as I was going along the way, I was like getting to learn, it's like trying to learn about money and trying to learn about everything. And, and obviously, um, the book that we all know very well, rich dad, poor dad was an absolute game changer for me as it is for many people. And, and me specifically becoming from a working class, um, coming from a working class family that, that kind of didn't understand money, didn't 
know how money worked. Like, again, like when times were good, times were good. When times are bad, when times are bad, like my dad, when times were good, we went on vacation. We bought new, something new. We bought, he bought something else. Like he bought honestly liabilities and stuff. And like, he never reinvested into his business. And again, I love him to death and he's, he's great at what he does, but it was just, it's, 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 it's a common thing. That's why it's, they call it the 99% and the 1%, right? So yep. rich dad, poor dad changed the game for me. And it kind of turned into like something where it's like, okay, well, I, I kind of understood now, like it made so much sense, right? I'm like, cause I'm working at this job and I'm like, I'm not going to get rich from this. Like, yeah, I'll make good money. But like, this isn't how I get like rich, rich. Like how do people get rich, rich? And then they, they talk about real estate. I'm like, yeah, real estate, like no way. Like I'd be lucky if I buy one house. Like that's insane. Like I, I always say the, the thing I always thought was like real estate's just for rich old people that have like a, a big, like 401k and they just go out and they buy a bunch of deals. Um, so that's always what I thought real estate was. And, um, I, I, I put it, you know, I put it on the back burner and then I ended up finding out about wholesaling and the whole, the whole ploy with wholesaling is like getting into real estate investing, no money, no credit, no, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is great. I could do it. Like I could, I could try this. And I went down there, you know, I'm in a very tough market, um, you know, suburb of New York city. And uh, you know, it just didn't work for me. I did try for a really long time though. Uh, I tried really hard on the off market game. I would hang up the signs, you know, at five in the morning, um, you know, wake up super cold. So I didn't get yelled at by people, which still happened. Um, you know, you know, uh, putting up, so putting up the bandit signs, um, you know, sticky notes, driving for dollars, all that stuff. And I, I did that and I really tried and, and I, I tried and failed a lot. And, um, you know, eventually I was, I was going, but I, I knew the real estate thing was like wholesaling hooked me, but now I needed to figure out how I, how I'd make it happen. So I, I tried a whole bunch of different avenues, um, and, and really to no avail. And, uh, it wasn't until I, I, I took another mentorship that was with my local real estate investment association. And the reason I went to there and I kind of had trust in that was like, I was like, my market's definitely one of the toughest markets. Everyone thinks their market's the toughest, but ours is definitely very tough. Um, and like super high taxes that make deals really hard to work, everything like that. So, um, the lady that ran it, her name's Melissa and she, um, you know, she's super mom has like, I think like seven or eight kids, but like still has like 500 units flipped a thousand houses. She's just like an all-star. She's just one of those people. Like you just never understand how they do it. So we went through this whole, we went through the uh, whole program and it, like, as I'm going through the program, I'm like, this is all stuff that I've seen in like other books, courses, stuff like they were just kind of regurgitating like the same, like flipping advice, buy and hold advice. Like it's all stuff you've heard before. So I just pulled her aside one day. I'm like, listen, Melissa, like I, I, I respect what you're doing. I get it. But like, I don't know, this is stuff I feel like I, I know already and it hasn't been working for me. I'm like, if you were in my position, if you could do this all over again, at the time I was like 25, maybe it's like, if you were my age, I'm like, I got a couple grand saved up in the bank, like nothing crazy. Like, what would you do? Like, I don't have a big nest egg. Like I, I but like, how would you do, you know, wholesaling is tough. Like, what would you do? And she's like, what I would do is I would do something called a 203K loan and I'd buy a house that's really beat up and do a live-in flip. You only need 3.5% down out of pocket. You, that includes the renovation. So you could wrap the, you could wrap the renovation cost into the mortgage, right? So it's 3.5%. So if say you buy a house for just for round numbers, you buy a house for 50,000, you put 50,000 into it, your loans, a hundred thousand, you're only paying 3,500 bucks as a down payment to get into that. Right. She said, you do that. You have to live there. That's part of the game because it's an owner occupied loan. 
but she's like, buy a house, live in the basement, rent out the upstairs to have it pay for itself. And then use that, use the equity that you build on the flip, you know, use the same fix and flip rules, use that equity on the flip and then go buy more. And I'm like, I'm like, there's no way I've been looking around for four years and I've never heard of this thing. And now she had never done it herself. Full disclaimer. She's like, I've never done it, but I know this is like, this is the way. So I'm like, holy crap. So I go home and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. So I like go on like bigger pockets. I go on like all this, like 203K loans. And it's like nothing like radio silence. Like there's no, I mean, there's like information about on it, but it's like very lender specific. It's like just website. It's like, you know, it's like bankrate.com just telling you what a 203K is, but it's like not from like the investing standpoint that I was looking at it from. So lo and behold, like fast forward a little bit, I, you know, I wanted to get into this, but I never really knew how. And uh, eventually I, I just made a call one day to the only, the only uh, mortgage broker that I knew. And he was a family friend. And I was like, do you know anything about a 203K? And he's like, yeah, dude, like they're, they're awesome. Like you definitely should jump in this. Like um, let's, let's get you set up. And before I knew it, he was pre-approving me. Um, and it was like kind of one of those calls that like, I just, it was like such an innocent thing. And it literally like basically started my whole investing career was that one phone call. And, um, I can get a little bit more into like kind of the, kind of the roadblocks and everything I had because I was figuring this out as I went, but that's really how I found the 203k and how this all started. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Thanks for the, thanks for the backstory. It's great. I think I want to, we want to talk about your current portfolio now, and then we can go back to those roadblocks and getting you to the point that you're at. So you discovered this two or three K thing, which is like house hacking on house hacking slash live and flip on steroids. We talk about house hacking a lot in our show, but we haven't talked about the strategy. You found it. You're like, this is amazing. What's your portfolio look like now? And then can you walk us to kind of like maybe the steps that you took to get there? Sure. So right now, so my focus was always kind of in fix and flipping, right? So, you know, I've done three deals since then, and a lot of them were all built on that first deal. And that first deal is a, um, that first deal is a nest egg for me. It's like kind of like an open checkbook. And then it created another deal that I had as a buy and hold. So now I have two buy and holds and then I have them financing with HELOCs down the road. Um, so my flipping business has always been my focus. And, um, you know, as I ramp up the flipping game, um, I always try to reinvest back into my holding game. Right. Um, one of the cool things with flipping for me is, um, you know, as I told you earlier, like my dad has been in the, in the construction business. Um, so that's always been definitely an upside for me. Right. Uh, so I understand construction, but never understood the number side, never understood like, you know, like money, as I said, but we really understood the construction side. So kind of one of the things I always wanted to do was like, do this with my dad, because my dad, you know, he's 71 now. Um, and you know, he never, he always had his own business. He doesn't have a retirement. He doesn't have like a plan long-term. Um, so flipping for us was like, number one, like the kind of ride into a sunset thing for him where it's like, okay, we could do this together. And like, he doesn't have to work for other people now. It's like something that we could do together on the side. Um, but then also, you know, do something where, um, do something where we're benefiting both of ourselves. I'm learning his trade better and better and better. And it became like, it became like a thing that 
is like more worth it to me than the money. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of how it's been. So, you know, the focus now, I think I was telling you before the show, like our focus has been in off market, like I have off market deals right now and everything's kind of backing into, um, how I started this, but, you know, just to dial back a little bit, what I ended up doing was on that first deal, I ended up building a hundred. Well, I mean, now it's like 160 or 80 K of equity. Um, and I was able to take out a home equity line of credit on that. Um, what, what, what the 203k did for me was it opened up a bunch of doors, right? So I wasn't able to start my flipping business until I did that first deal. So just to dial back, like when I was in that local RIA group, right? I was like finding out ways about creative financing and everything. And the reality was, is like hard money lenders are out there. But I mean, even back, back when I started, like hard money lenders wouldn't even touch you unless you've done a deal, yeah. right? They wouldn't even touch you with a 10 foot pole. So it was always a cool, it was always a thing where like, it was always a thing where like the, the chicken before the egg, right? Like what, what had to come first? It was like, you'd go to them and they're like, well, you need a deal first, but it's like, in order to get a deal, like I needed the money. (laughs) So I'm like, so what was great about the 203k was like, it was the, it was like a, it was like a fix and flip on training wheels, which got me the deal. Then I created a deal sheet. Then I went to hard money lenders. All of a sudden hard money lenders were willing to lend to me because they just saw this successful deal that I did. Right. So I very quickly leveraged it right into my next deal, which was like one I picked up, it was a you know, it was a, uh, and I, and I, and I basically combined my equity with the property with the hard money. So in the next deal I took, it was like 30,000 of it, um, and teamed it up. It was, the deal was like one <clears throat> picked it up for one eighty. Um, it needed probably like 35,000 worth of work, 40,000 worth of work. It was, it was very small and it resold for 300 K. Right. So, but that I would have never had that if I didn't have that first deal. Cause number one, the hard money lender would let, 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 let me use their money. Obviously I had to come out with some out of pocket. Um, and then from there, it just, no, you know, it just, it just turned into the next deal and the next deal. And like the, it was like, so that first property ended up doing, you know, long-term for, for that, that 9,500 bucks, that, that initial down payment that you, that you talked about earlier, um, has, I mean, over time, like half a mil just in the last couple of years, just in profits from, from equity and, flipping profits and the, uh, rental profits that I get from you're everything doing else. all of this with a full-time job, right? I just want to make sure people realize that, that you're an engineer by, by trade full-time and like, you're able to do all of this on the side of your, of your business. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of leads that that's a, that's a great foray. And, um, yeah, people, you know, listen, I'm not like a fix and flip guru. I will. I mean, as I told you, I'm not, I haven't done a ton of deals. That's not me my day job is like, is engineering and I enjoy it. Right. So it was always like, I always wanted to have another thing. Like when I started, like have another thing, but also have like my day-to-day thing that like have that stability and have both. What I will tell you is that as my flipping business got better and as my real estate game got better and like, as the buy and hold started making me cash flow every month, it put a lot of my nine to five into perspective. And what it allowed me to do was end up finding jobs that worked for me and like worked for my like work-life balance. The first job I got, there was zero work-life balance, nothing. I were, they worked me to the bone. Um, and it, like, they treated you like children. Um, it was like, it was like you had the, they gave you two weeks of vacation a year. That was it. And like, you would go ask for vacation in fear. 
because it was like frowned upon that you even used your vacation. So it was like that. It was like that really awful. Um, it was like that really awful fear that everybody wants to get away from. Um, but at the same token, right? Like th this loan, this loan is something where like they want a W2 income, they want a stable income. So it's funny you bring that up because when I first got into this, right. When I first started the, like when I was into wholesaling, right. I was like, I was like, F the man. Like, I hate, you know, working for the man sucks. Like I'm going to own my own business, like blah, blah, blah. And it ended up being that like, actually my job is what helped me get started because at the end of the day, that W2 is going to be so crucial for you getting loans. Yeah. You can make a, you can make really good money. You could be doing 200, 250 a year, 300 a year. I know people and they can't get a bank loan because they're just on paper. Listen, you're going to write off a lot too. So you could be pulling in, you'd be doing really well for yourself. But if you have a good accountant, you're going to write off a lot of that too. And banks can only approve you on what you show. So if you write off a lot, whether or not you're actually writing off what you're making or not, like if you, you know, if you're really truly making a hundred something grand a year or more, but you're writing it off down to 50 or 40, the bank's only going to approve you on 40. So um, in retrospect, I, I, I was appreciative of my job and I, and I still work now. I, I have a really good engineering gig um, consulting for a really big company. And um, but I got to that point and like, I found a really a job that gave me the good work-life balance. Um, and, but having that real estate as the extra income and having those other streams of income behind me, has made me, has made it easier for me to kind of go and try a bunch of different jobs. Like I bopped around a little bit in the last three years, just kind of finding my way. I think, um, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think there's a really strong point there. Like <clears throat> what you're saying is, is your W2 job is valued because you actually have optionality around it, right? Like you're not yeah. stressed and tied to it because of the flipping business. This side gig that you've turned into this like money machine for you, so to speak, is like, is allowing you to say, nah, I'm good on that two week vacation thing. Like I don't have to work here. Whereas a lot of people, if they don't get their next paycheck, Matt, they don't have a choice. So like they, they know those industries prey on people who are like, they're living paycheck to paycheck. So it's really, really cool. You probably just have a more relaxed feel at your job that you're like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's, you put in a lot of work, but it's like yeah. just your temperament's probably like, okay, like I could figure something else out if I didn't do this. Right. Just oh, based totally. On your side hustle. Totally. I mean, yeah. And, and you know what it is? It's like, again, it changed. You, that were like that W2, like if you, like it puts everything into perspective. Um, and again, like, like, like you said, like it just, it's not, it's not so much like, I still like, like working for this company I'm working for now. I love working for this company I'm working for now. And it's like, and it gives me the freedom. Like I still, I'm always working, right? Like I always like, I, I, I have my nine to five and I, I work hard there and then I work hard after it doesn't stop but it just, it feels, it doesn't feel like work anymore. Like it doesn't feel like, obviously everybody has times where it's like, Oh, this sucks. Like, you know, there's always sure. like those grinds and stuff, but like, it's just, I'm doing things I want to do. And, and for like, and it took me a decade to get there, but real estate was absolutely the avenue that got me to that point. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without my W2. I, I just wouldn't have. Before we get too far into the show, I, I want to go back to um, right when you, your family friend, he dropped, uh, this is the part of the story that I think we left off at, like he started running the numbers for you, right? And got you approved for the loan. Can you take us through that first deal that opened all these doors up for you? Just like what you bought it for, how you found it. And then like 
the importance of finding a good lender, et cetera, just to, just so everybody can conceptualize where you were at and how that funneled into the rest of your life. For sure, man. So, um, yeah, so I kind of left you off with the cliffhanger there with, uh, with the, with the mortgage. Don't uh, worry, we'll bring you back. (laughs) Yeah. With the mortgage lender. So, uh, yeah. So what ended up happening was again, it was like kind of, and, and here's, I guess a way to preface it as I've always been a, a huge analysis paralysis, like, like, um, example, right. Like I'm, I'm just like the worst version of it. Um, again, I'm an engineer by trade. Like I'm, I'm very analytical by trade and I, I overanalyze everything. I'm just that type of person. I need to have every detail before I do something. I'm not a doer. You're looking over. Yeah. Listen, but that's good about, about having, you know, we both do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, I mean, and- the thing is, is we got over it though. Like, that's the thing. Like you start out that way. And then once you do it, you're like, you still analyze it, but then you're like, I know I need to take action too. Just like going through things with like a fine tooth comb though. Like we, we take the action, but uh, you know, like each scenario you go through and you're like, Oh, I got to go line item by line item, but it really just sometimes taking a leap of faith. So I get your point. Leap of faith is, is, I mean, it's the perfect example. So like, that's kind of what I, and, and the doer that like, I call it like the do muscle. Like every time you flex the do muscle, it gets easier to do the next time. Right. And, and in the, in the beginning I had never done, I had always just researched. And I always thought that like the next book would have the answer for me or the next course (laughs) would have the answer for me. I'm still that way, man. Like it's ingrained in my genetics. Like I'm always going to fight that, but over the years I've gotten much better at it. But one of the, like, action begets action. Right. And I think that phone call was like a little action that I tell people all the time. Like the obstacle is the way, like you just focus on what's there, just take action on what, like, don't worry about the, like, you're going to get there. You're going to have to learn it when the time comes. And what's cool about the 203 K and, and my, and we'll obviously get more into the details on how I found everything, but it was like, because I didn't know anything about it, it forced me to learn everything about it, but only, but it also forced me to look at things just in front of me because I had no idea what was beyond that anyway. But that's also really the key that a lot of people get lost on is like, they get too focused on, on beyond. Um, so it was kind of a blessing in that, in that, in that way is like, I didn't know what could have been past it. I just knew what they told me right now. And I was like, well, shit, I got to do this. And then it was like, and then it was like just a a natural progression. Right. So what ended up happening was I, I got on the, you know, we got on a call and he got me pre-approved. Um, lo and behold, like in my market, Long Island, New York, for anybody listening, that's familiar with it. It's a suburb of New York city. It's, um, it's like its own little bubble and it's very competitive, super high taxes because it's close to New York city. Um, because of the taxes, like I made good money, like decent money for 25 years old or whatever. But at the end of the day, it was like pretty much a somewhat entry level salary, um, in an area where it's like pretty much you need two incomes to afford a house on Long Island. Like you, you pretty much won't get approved on a single income unless you're making like buku bucks. But I wasn't. And, um, I got pre-approved and it was like, he's like, all right, you got pre-approved for like 200 K he's like, not much of that around here, but like you could get creative and like start looking for some real dumps and like, see what you could do. So, um, he's like, listen, just start looking for some stuff. And, um, you know, and I did, and I was like, I was previously. So I started looking for some things and he gave me a bunch of websites. One of the things he told me, he's like, yeah, here's, here's like foreclosure.com. Here's that. It's like, wait, I could buy a foreclosure with this. He's like, yeah, dude. I was like, no, that's cash only. He's like, yeah. And renovation loans. I was like, what? I had no idea. This was wow. like a super bonus that I got, which like still blows people's minds because think of what a foreclosure is, right? A foreclosure is an as is property. The bank's basically making no, no, you know, um, 
no guarantees on it. They're basically saying like, you're buying it as is. And in reality, a bank isn't going to let you buy a property that you can't get inspected or you can't like look at what the issues are. That's not a thing that's allowed on a bank because a bank ultimately owns the property when they buy it. So they want to make sure that they're not buying a pile of shit. So, um, so that's why that's built in there. But the reality is, is that on renovation loans, renovation loans, they're built for this purpose. They're built in a way that the, you buy them with the intention of fixing them up. So the bank knows, yeah, there's a little more inherent risk there, but the bank knows like that you're going to fix it and it's going to be in a better position and it's going to be higher equity when you're done. So they know that they are, they're getting an asset. And it's, obviously it's built in such a way to make sure that that all happens, which we can get more into, but you know, ultimately- it's incentivized for many reasons, like for yeah. a lot of reasons, they want these houses to appreciate and be worth more, i.e. the township, the school, oh, yeah. all of those things, the banks want that. So that, yeah. I mean, they can, take your money, but in a, in a good way for you and for them, but go ahead. Sorry. I, I, right. Yeah. So, so I was like kind of blown away by this. So I started going through the foreclosure market, which there was a lot of on in long Island at the time, we're still kind of recovering from 2008 around then. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff out there. Um, but a lot of stuff, but like, I'm still having competition with, like with, 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 um, cash buyers and stuff and just looking for anything with a spread. So, you know, the first couple, I was looking for a little while and there was just like a lot of stuff that was like, just, I was, I would have to offer way too low on. And he's like, listen, just, just start looking, you know, just look for any, like blow out your comfort zone. Like just look for anything that is, would fit your thing. So I like sorted by lowest price and I found like a lot of dumpers, man. And I found this one that, and this is another thing I kind of found out by accident, but I, I've now learned how important it is. I kind of found out about house hacking by accident because of this. So what ended up happening was I saw this property that was listed for like 280 or 290,000, which was again, kind of over my budget, but I'm like, I don't know, let me take a look at it. Let's see what we could do. And um, it was like in an ugly part of town, it was a legit crack house. Like it was, I mean, there was, people were like literally like crapping all over the floor. Um, it was, it was like being, there was hoarders in there or like, you know, not in there permanently, but like there were homeless people using it, using the bathroom when the water lines weren't working, it smelled awful. Everything was ripped into shreds. And I went in and, um, I'll take it. Know, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's mm. like, he's, he's like, yeah, dude, he's like, dude, you could, you could fix this up. It'll be real nice. I'm like, there's no way I'm like, just looking at this thing. And I'm like, oh. he's like, you can afford this though. Here's the reason he was like, well, this is, a, so what ended up happening with this one is, is a legal two family. All right. So I, I found out it was Wasn't a, it in a part of town that like you felt like could be on the up and up in terms of like, is there any gentrification there? Or were you in like the, the, you said that the, the area was like pretty rough. Was it like, it was, so it was turn? a rough area because it was, so the town itself wasn't bad. It was a good town right. pretty much. Right. And it was actually kind of on the up and up. Like it, it, it was always like a good town. It's like a middle-class sure. town, Sure, but you. it was in, it was in the part of town where it's like all row homes. And it was like all, it was like very close to city center. And then like very close to like a row of like my front, the front yard on it is a row of bars. And then it's next, it's next door to a church and it's like a parking lot up front. And then there's like an alleyway behind it that had like crackheads in it. So it was like, it was like a weird, it was like not, it was like a rougher part of town. Sure. But again, it was something that I was able to kind of afford, but he's, he's like, listen, man, he's like, because it's a legal two family, we're able to forecast. Cause basically he's like, I don't think you can afford it, but let's look into this two family thing. So the two family ended up being, um, 
a really lifesaver for me and was able to get me over the hump for this because what happens is on an FHA loan or when you buy a small multifamily loan, right? Up to, up to four units, right? When you purchase one of those properties and this is where house hacking comes in, you're able to, um, the, the bank forecasts that future rental income from the other units as part of your income on the approval process. So when in the beginning, I wasn't really going to get it. Like he was basically like, maybe you, I can get you into it if there's like $20,000 worth of work, but this place was a, an absolute shithole. So I was like, it needs at least like 50 to a hundred, like it needs a lot. So he, they forecasted the future rent. And the future rent was able to get me over the hump and get me all in. I, I was at the real peak, like at the top, top, top peak. But by using um, that one unit's rent to get yeah. you as income, like my debt to income ratio to income. Yeah. My debt to income ratio uh, went down there and I was able to break into it. So I found, again, found it by accident. And like, this was the, this was the cheapest thing I could find. <laughs> right. So it was like, it, this was it or anything. Um, so I was able to break in and, and now this is when it turned into like, okay, everything that I've learned up until this point from like all the other like programs I was in and like all the books I had read, I'm like, well, let me analyze this deal as if it was a flip deal. Right. And I did that. And I, and I, and let me analyze it as a hold. Right. And I did that, like just using like the calculators and everything everybody gave me. And I pretty much worked it out that, okay, if I pick it up for 270 and I'll put like, I, we forecasted it was going to be about 80,000 worth of work. So plus 80,000, I'm going to be all in for 350. I was like looking at the area. I'm like, I think I could get at least 450 when I'm done. Like, I don't know because there weren't too many comps, but like this thing's such a dump and like there's stuff in the fours. I'm like, I can't imagine it be, being under that. So I was like 450. I'm like, listen, 100K of equity. I'll take that all day, right? So um, so then- Especially so, at an entry point so low. Oh yeah. So like, so I, so we, we were able to get it through um, and I, uh, you know, I placed, I, I placed an offer on it and now, now I don't know what to do next. Now, all of a sudden my banker tells me, okay, well, we have someone called a 203K consultant. They're going to come visit you. And I'm like, wait, what? And now they come in. They're like, okay, who's your contractor on the job? I was like, well, I wanted to use my dad. She's like, no, you can't do that. Pick another one. I'm like, what? They're telling me this now. So now I'm like, oh my God, like now what? Like I'm expecting my dad's going to do the work. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I had no idea what I was doing. So um, it turns out it's a conflict of interest. You can't have like family do it. The bank didn't want, allow it. So, you know, luckily my dad has friends in the game and we were able to find another contractor and it actually ended up working out better that way because that separation was important. Um, but this 203K consultant got involved and that was another thing that I had learned about. 203K consultant is basically a referee for the, for the, for the whole process, right? Because at the end of the day, how does the bank know that the contractor is doing their work? You know, how does, how do they know that they're, that they're doing what they need to do? How do they know that your renovation estimates close? You know, luckily for me, I, I had some experience with construction, so I knew the renovation estimate was close, but they need someone to verify that. So that HUD consultant, that 203K consultant, usually the 203K consultants are inspectors, home inspectors, and they just add this to their list of qualifications, right? So, so funny, we're going through this right now, like you're saying everything that we heard. So it's, there you go. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's a common thing. And the guys that these guys that do it, they do it all the time. Right. So, um, you know, it, we brought them on and then, you know, it, then it just turned into like, okay, how am I going to manage, how am I going to manage this process? How are we going to close? Now I learned very quickly there after the fact that, um, my family friend who, again, I'm very thankful that he, we did this work. He, had no idea how to do a 203K loan. He knew of it. He had never done one. Neither had anybody in his entire office. We're going through this process completely blind. 
We didn't know when paper, I was getting asked for paperwork. I, it became a, a second full-time job. Like they didn't know. And like, I was like, do this. No, redo this. No, make it look like this. No, it has to look like this. And it was just like this. And, and we, we were just shooting from the hip. Literally it took four months to close on this property because of this. Whoa. And, um, and I learned very quickly how important it was after the fact to have a, a, a lender that does these, which they are out there. And we could talk about more how to find them, but um, you know, lo and behold, we got through it. Right. I'll, I'll save you all the kind of the gritty details, but we got through it. Um, you know, I just kept, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of close calls. We, we almost fell out of contract numerous times. It actually, in a weird chain of events, my, uh, my cousin's friend who worked for this company who started the loan, um, his brother also worked for the company and had a falling out with the owner and they fired both of them midway through my loan. So my loan got passed off to someone that knew nothing about it either, but also didn't give a crap about me. So it, I, he literally went and begged and pleaded like on his hands and knees, apparently to get the loan through on the last day that we had before. Yeah. Or else you were going to kick his ass. <laughs> well, yeah, no. Well, yeah, he actually said my cousins, cause it was my, my older cousins, right? Yeah. My older cousins, they're like, they're like, if you don't let my, my friend's little cousins loan go through, they're literally going to come to my house and beat me up. Right. So, <laughs> they, so he was like pleading with them and, and he, and they got it through. Um, but you know, lo and behold, I, I got out of it and I was done. And like, I just look around and like, I was like, man, I was like, even with all the craziness, like this thing is done. I have this nice house. Like, and now I'm going to, I'm going to like start renting it out. I'm not even going to really have to pay for most of the mortgage. I'm going to live in one unit, pretty much rent free. And I built like a nice amount of equity in it. I think, and I looked around, I'm like, how do not more people know about this thing? Like, even with all the BS that I went through, it was still just so worth it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I ended up getting it reappraised right then after, cause that's part of the process. And it came back at 480 K. So I was wow. open for three fifty, Um, and it came back at 130,000 in equity. And like, I went to, that was your nine grand, right. That you put down yeah. and then how it came out to $130,000. What did you rent the one side out for? Uh, initially 20, 2250. And now, um, now it's up at 25, a uh, high cost of living area, which helped me out That's there. Insane. You have to with the taxes. Um, but it was a three bedroom and, um, yeah, I rent out. I mean, I now rent out both for 2,500 each. So um, you're at five grand in there after expenses, CapEx, all that. What, what's your net? Uh, 2k, 2k. It's a home run. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It was. And it took some time to get there, you know, some refinances and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's free, you know, it's free and like not free and clear, but the property just pays for itself and then some, and it, and, and that All for nine that, grand at the beginning, it's like yeah. incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. Let's pick this deal apart a little bit too. So, um, going into it on the rehab side, we haven't dove too much into it on, on our podcast specifically, but like, how do you personally, I'm thinking about, the loan process, right? It took four months. How long did it take you to actually complete the flip and all the rehab work? And then going into that, I know you have a construction background as well as your father and a couple other players around you. Sure. How do you go through and estimate like, Hey, this is fixing this bathroom is going to be X amount fixing the floor or replacing the floor is going to be this amount. Like maybe that's a lot to swallow or like walk through, but if you could give it like a brief overview for people, that'd be great. Sure. So as I said before, like the cool thing about the 203k loan is like, I had a construction background. Yes. But the cool thing about it is because you have people like the HUD consultant in there, because like 
you, you have like the banks, the whole thing it's built around, like not the assumption that the people getting into this know about construction, right? It's built that way. I mean, they can't have it that way. No one would do it. Right. So they, um, they have a lot built in such a way where it kind of helps you get over that process. So a lot of it has to lie, it lies on the 203 K consultant. Um, so <clears throat> Basically, I found out after the fact. Now, since I've created like the 203K Way community and all this stuff, I've had the opportunity to meet so many like awesome HUD consultants and lenders and all these people that actually do these things day in, day out and know this stuff backwards and forwards. Um, and, and, and I learned from them that a 203K consultant is usually the first person in that property. So, so the way you want it to really go and if you're listening and you want to do this yourself, like the first thing to do is you lock something up into contract. You have to have like a rough idea of what the renovation cost is going to be, but it's just enough for you to analyze the deal. Like super, super, you go like super conservative. You just like really ballpark it. You don't have to be an expert in this to have any idea because they don't expect it to you. Once that 203K consultant comes in, what they'll do is they'll ask you, okay, what's your budget? Um, they'll say, what do you want to do to the property? And they walk around with you and they do something called a feasibility study. Most of them do this. The good ones do this, right? And the feasibility study is basically like, okay, here's what you'd like to do. Well, number one, here's what has to be done to make this a livable dwelling, right? Because that's the first thing, right? Like my property, it wasn't even livable. So they have like a, a basically a column of like what absolutely needs to be done to have it be code compliant and also be client compliant to be a HUD certified house basically because they're a HUD consultant, right? So they know what that takes. Then they say, okay, what would you like to do to the property? And you go around and you tell them like, I want to do this. I want to redo this floor. I want to do that, that, that. So they make another column. So they add that up. Then they go through and based on your budget, based on what you're approved for, they basically tell you like, yes, this is doable. No, this isn't doable. And if no, this isn't doable, here are the things that you can cut out from your budget. But what's good about them is they are active in their market, right? They're, 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 they're inspectors. A lot of them have construction backgrounds. A lot of guys that get into inspecting have a construction background to some degree. Um, and then if they do a lot of 203k loans, they know what values and, and values are in the market. Like it's, it's kind of like, you kind of have to know that if you're going to be a good inspector um, or like an insurance claims adjuster or whatever, like these are like, these rates are kind of nationwide, like pretty generic. Um, so like he could basically tell you like, okay, you know, um, you know, flooring is going to be $4 a square foot, you know, installed mm -hmm. or whatever. And, and he'll go and he'll work all that stuff out. So on that report, he's going to give you a schedule of values on what roughly every little line item is going to be. So now number one, number one, this is going to help, help you know, if like, okay, were you way off? Is your deal done? Like, is, can your deal actually make it through? Or do, is there things you need to adjust or cut from the budget? Um, and number two, what it's going to do is it gives you a clear cut scope of work for you now to bid out to contractors. A huge hack that now like people that I teach to do the loan and now people that follow me and like now are doing this successfully. Um, what they do is the, you get the, you get the feasibility study, which is a line item by line item document. And again, it gives you like every line item, like replace kitchen cabinets, refinish kitchen floor, um, you know, uh, resheet rock walls in store new water heater, whatever, like line item by line item by line item. It could be, you know, 50 line items long, but that's the way it needs to be done in order to make sure that it gets done. Right. You pretty much they'll, they'll either do it for you. It's like usually in an Excel format, you just blank out the values. 
Then all you do is you reprint out the sheet, you hand it to the contractor and you say, here's the scope. The scope's already done. Please just let me know what your bid is based on the scope of work. So now in, I'm big in construction, right? So I know construction. I, I worked in construction my whole career. Um, this is called leveling out the bid, right? So you want to make sure that your contractors are bidding apples to apples. It's newbie mistake number one. Well, newbie mistake number one is they always go for the cheapest contractor. So that's, that's the first thing. So if you're listening, don't go for the cheapest guy. Number mm -hmm. two is you want to make sure that you're bidding apples to apples. If you have, a, if you have one guy that's, you know, one guy that doesn't really know like exactly what you meant by like refinish the walls, he might be thinking, you know, completely, completely resheet rocket. Another guy is going to be like, Oh, I just need to skim code it. And you're going to see a big discrepancy. So now when you are like figuring out which contractor you want the best, now you have like, you have two line items that you can compete against. And if one guy's way off, but he's the guy that you want, you say, I'm like, Hey, um, why, why are you cost this much for this? I think it seems a little high and they'll justify it to you. And you might find out there was a, there was a miscommunication there. So, um, it helps you. You don't need to know this, the con, the, the, this, the HUD consultant is going to write out this scope of work, but it's going to help you now have something where you don't have to be an expert. You could just look at the numbers and be like, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. That's amazing. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. I'll let, he, Raj got a question. I can tell, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to forget, I but it's funny. We're like, so we're ahead of the game. Like our, our, our consultant for this investment loan that we're talking about, is going to be like, Oh, did all the work. Thanks. Like literally, cause we're doing all of that, putting all the numbers to it. And we, you're saying that this guy has a lot of the knowledge to do it. But. Yeah. We walked through, we guess I did a step ahead, right? We brought the contractor in, had it went line item by line item on person. He's, uh, like essentially like a family friend, if you want to call him that. Um, sure. But <clears throat> he came in, gave us a scope work. We have it all typed out. Now I'm curious when the HUD consultant comes in and gives us a scope work, right? We're going to have them to compare. Do we have to do every single thing that the HUD consultant says it like needs to be done or should be done to make it, I guess the livable dwelling you would have to, but are there other ones we can say, okay, we don't have to do this. So it gets a little tricky, right? Because what ends up happening is like when, so there, that becomes, that, that was like kind of the killer for me was because my consultant and my contractor weren't on the same page. So there was like a lot of back and forth and like nobody knew what they needed to do to make, basically what you need to do is you have to have your consultant and your, and your contractor bid that you choose to pick marry up. And they're both, they, they end up work on like an, they call it an SOR, like a schedule of repairs. I think it's called mm -hmm. or S whatever it stands for, but you like, because that becomes like, that becomes like kind of Bible in the sense that like the bank is going to release funds based on everything that's on that list. Because at like at closing, that money immediately goes into escrow. So that money like has to be allocated to those things because that's the way they understand it. Now, listen, like any other construction project, there could be change orders. Rarely is something removed. Like something can't really be removed if there's not good reason for it. Um, you know, if, if it's just, if after it's like the fact, you mean after you're already in the loan is what you're saying. Right. Right. Like you can't remove, like, it depends. Like you can reallocate funds. Um, but just like chopping it off the top usually doesn't happen too much. The only way is, is if it like finishes under budget or something like that, um, you can get that loan. You can get that remaining money. You could just say it's finished or like you went under budget or like it ended up being like cheaper than you expected. That remaining buddy ju money just applies right to principal. Long, so yeah. it's like you can save it there. But ultimately, you have to look at it from the bank's perspective. Like they put that money in escrow. So they want to, you, you want to make sure that like it gets allocated to something. Right. Got it. So essentially what you're saying is there's 
these two, the contractor and the the HUD officer, they're going to kind of join forces here. Right. And come up with a, like a, a magic list that like, Hey, we have, we have to do all of these things. And here's exactly where we think you're going to net out on numbers. And then yeah. it goes to the full loan process and you, you know, you go through it and money gets allocated out. Mm-hmm. Can you, so we're, you have the 203k loan, right? That's what owner occupied. Ours is non-owner occupied. It's mm-hmm. strictly for investors. You, you say it's a home renovation loan. That's home call style. It? It's called home style loan. Okay. Yep. Just for, just to like different people. To, diff- yeah. People sure. differentiate. Cool. So home style loans for investors, 203k is owner occupied. If you're going to live in it. Yeah. Just home style has owner occupied also home style actually is better to go. If you, so I'm in, in the process of doing another one, right? I said to you guys before the show, I'm looking, cause I'm looking to buy a forever home for my wife and we, we have a baby on the way. So we're looking to, I mean, you see here, we're in an apartment. We love it. We have a beautiful view of New York city behind us, but, um, and it was our dream to be here, but we have a baby on the way and it's time to move into a house. Um, but I'm still going to do the same thing. I'm still going to buy a fixer upper. I'm still going to make it the way I want it. I'm still going to build equity into it. We're just going to stay put. Um, for single family, homestyle loan only requires 3% down. Actually, it's less than an FHA um, because you need a little bit of a credit score. A good renovation lender, that's why having a good like renovation experience lender is so important because based on your deal, like there's a couple different renovation loans out there. Like the 203K is like kind of like the king and like it's the most well-known, but there's other ones out there like the home style where like a good lender is going to know which product is the best for you, but they're all different flavors of essentially the same thing, right? The same thing being you can wrap your purchase price in plus the renovation cost into the loan. You could also refi with these loans too, for people that don't know. If like you want to do a renovation on your home, you could refi into a renovation mortgage um, and do it that way. And just to give people like a little bit of an idea, what we ran through or ran into is that rates are pretty low. They're actually starting to creep back up a little bit. We're, we're noticing, but like these 203K and renovation loans, at least for investors, we're finding that's like 0.75 to a percent point higher than they would be, I guess, maybe the investor one to the two or three K owner occupancy. Are you, is that accurate? Kind of like across the board? Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, for the, for the investor side, I mean, that's, that's peanuts compared to yeah. like oh my doing God. hard yeah, we don't money or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a little higher. I mean, obviously you, you can understand why um, the renovate. So like one of the exit, so the exit strategy I had with my renovation with my, my first one was um, rent, like, so obviously FHA loans have PMI, right? Because if you put less than 20% down, you're, 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 you're effectively a subprime borrower, right? So they hit you with mortgage insurance every month. For people that don't know what that is, basically you're paying into an insurance program that everybody else that has an FHA loan does to, protect, to give banks incentives to do these loans. Basically the government's saying, hey, listen, they all pay into this big bucket. If one of them, for, if one of them defaults, we'll pay you back with this FHA money, right? So- Um, but as soon as, if you refinance into conventional, you can get rid of that PMI immediately. If you have at least 20% equity in the deal. So at the very least, anybody that uses this loan should always focus on at least having 20% equity when you're done. That way you can refi out of that PMI immediately and then get that extra boost in casual. Plus you'll usually get like, you know, a basis point or two off, um, off of your, off of your interest rate, because chances are in a renovation loan, they'll tweak it a little bit. They'll give you like a little bump, like a quarter point in interest rate. But when you refinance back into conventional, they take that off, especially if you have a good rate, especially if you have like equity there, you have decent credit and everything like that. You could usually get that back down, get your mortgage payment back down. And if you want to rent it long-term, I mean, that's extra cash flow in your pocket. 
I think it's cool how you've built your whole community around the 203k way. Cause that's, that's kind of what you set you on fire and, and allowed you to open so many doors and in regards to investing being that you have, you know, you are the guy for the 203k loan here. Um, can you explain to people, I'm sure you've built, you know, essentially connections and relationships with a lot of people that, that land contractors, et cetera. Can you give advice on like how someone can find the perfect or a very good loan officer for this type of loan? And then also maybe on the other side, like how, how would you vet a good contractor and how do you know to, to put the right guy in the right spot? Great question. So, um, so there's, so there's one little trick I have. Um, I'm going to try to condense it as quickly as possible, but there's something called a 203k endorsement summary. All right. If you Google it, you call Google 203k endorsement summary. The first thing that comes up is going to be, um, is going to be on the HUD website. And it's basically this list of, uh, it's basically this list of every lender that does 203k loans in your market this month. So you go down, like you'll go to the most recent month in year, and it'll give you the name of every lender that, that did a 203k loan in your market, right? Major market. Like you go like, obviously like it won't go by town, but it goes in like your major Metro area. Right. So you go there and you have a way. Um, I actually have a tool that does this automatically if you get my book, but that's besides the point, little plug, you could do this on your own. You don't what need is to the book? No, plug it right here. Um, two, 203ksecrets.com. Um, it's just a book. It's literally two bucks. Um, if you want to, you know, if you want to bundle it with other stuff, you can, but, um, the lender, the lender finder tool basically does this very quickly for you. Um, but essentially it sorts everything. So you can go and look at your market and see which lenders are doing the most in every market. So from there, all you do is you like, okay, you know, whatever loan Depot does it. You call up loan Depot and you go to the, the, the local branch in your market. You say, Hey, who does the most renovation loans in your office? Can you put me in touch with them? And they'll put you in touch with that loan officer and then you're set, right? And then listen, you quiz them. I mean, listen, if, if they sound like they don't know what they're talking about, chances are they don't. If they sound like they know what they're talking about, like chances are they probably do. Um, so you could start that way. Another way is to kind of reverse engineer it. Um, you can look up 203K consultants because who knows who's doing the most 203Ks in an area than the guys that need to be on every single project. So what you could do is you could go on 203khudconsultants.com. It's like a full directory of every 203k consultant in the country. You type in your you type in your you know your your zip code, your area. You can look at HUD consultants in your area, um, and you could call them up. Let it, say, hey, listen, I'm looking to do a 203k loan. And listen, a lot of them are a lot of them aren't good. Like I'll be honest with you, you know, no offense to any of them out there, but there's a lot of them they just put it on top of their resume and. They don't really do them that much, but you'll call, if you call around to a couple, you'll start to know which ones do the best, do the best. You could call them direct and be like, Hey, do you know, like who's doing like, which, which, which banks you're working with in this market, in this market that are doing a lot of these. And if you get a guy on the phone that seems to know, or gal that knows what they're doing, um, they're going to know who's doing the loans in that, in that market. So what that's going to do is that's going to quarterback that, that lender is kind of the quarterback. They're going to be the ones that know the rest. Um, now, as far as the contractors go, um, there's a lot of different ways to find contractors on this. Number one would be leveraging that network. Number two, and, and I think probably one of the most underutilized thing is just your personal network. Like go like make a post on Facebook. Do you know any con anyone have any contractors they really liked working with? Um, and, and just, and build your network that way. Like you can always ask your, your HUD consultant. You could always ask the lender they'll probably make you like some of them are not comfortable with it. Cause they don't want to feel like they're steering you in a direction or like porn. But I think what it's, it's healthy to do is like, if they do give a recommendation, sprinkle it in with the contractors that you have 
and then just have them all set up and like kind of have them all pre-qualified before you find a deal. Because once that deal comes in line, you want to get them in there as soon as possible. And you know, if you only depend on one guy and he comes in and he's not ready, you're screwed because you got to close on this loan. So you want to make sure you have a couple guys in the mix that know what they're doing. Um, and honestly, you know, just, just peaking their interest, like anything else. I mean, one big thing with, with two or three K contractors is, you know, they need to be licensed. They need to be, they need to be insured. Um, they need to be bonded, right? They can't be fly by night guys that have no cash flow. A big thing with two or three K loans is they want to make sure that you have cash flow. One of the ways they do that is they really don't give you deposits. It depends on it because that money's in escrow and it's literally guaranteed they want to make sure that you're not going to be cash poor on this project, right? Because, yep. the, because the inspections work in draws. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, people think that turns a lot of contractors off. Good. The contractors that it turns off, you don't want on your project anyway, because listen, I came from a contractor that was poor at times. He there self-admittedly he's taken deposits and used it to pay the mortgage because we were, because yep. my parents were behind two months on it. Right. You don't want those guys. No fat. My dad's great at what he does. Everything was great. But that's when bad things happen because they run out of money and you don't want that to happen. It's very, it's very important. And we were worried about that too. Like our terms of our loan are like 90% during the project. And then they have a 10% retainer at the end. And Mm -hmm. I'm like thinking to myself, Oh, are there any contractors that are not going to like this? And like, to your point, well, yeah, you'll weed out the bad ones. Like if they can't wait for 10%, then they're probably not a good contractor. So exactly. We have a couple, we're kind of winding down here, but we have a couple points here. And one of them is, a question for you. And like, how do you find a lot of these deals? Like you, you mentioned the first one. Um, what's your strategy or, or for, or recommendations for people and how they should find uh, deals that, that you can use either for the two or three K or just in the investments in general. So the beauty of the two or three K loan is it's, it kind of allows you to play in what I call like this Goldilocks zone, like this two or three K Goldilocks zone. Right. And, and because you're number one, you don't like, if you're doing this, you know, like if you're listening to this and you want to make a good financial decision, like, especially right now where things are just flying at crazy prices, you don't want to play in that market. That market is foolish to be playing in right now. People are paying way overpriced on this stuff. The second there's a correction, they're going to be all underwater on their mortgage, right? Cause they're buying over what the overvalued of what these properties are. A 10% correction is going to screw a lot of people. Right. So you want to be looking, you don't want to be playing in the retail game, but now on the, so now you want to just be looking at like the crappiest stuff that's on MLS. You don't need to go off market for this stuff. 99% of the people that do my thing, like, and do this program or like do the the 203 K like they get it from stuff that's on the MLS because listen, the stuff on the bottom of the MLS is usually still also too overpriced for like a fix and flipper like myself. Like I usually need to pick stuff up at 50 cents, 60 cents on the dollar. They're listed on MLS for like 70 cents on the dollar, but 70 cents on the dollar is usually pretty good for a 203K loan because you're coming out of pocket with so little. You're only coming out with 3.5%. If you make 10% equity, you're triple, you're tripling your money, right? Great. And that's like on the low end, right? So, and that's not including like long-term like appreciation and like if you if you rent it out, like principal pay down and all that stuff, right? So what's good about it is like just look for foreclosures, look for anything as is on the MLS, because down there, you're only competing with either other 
other renovation loan people, which there's not many, or just really stupid cash buyers that just don't know what they're doing and are going to weed themselves out over time anyway, right? So I think just being stringent in that low end of the MLS market, you're always going to find stuff. Foreclosures are, are trickling back online. Um, they were obviously gone for a little while, but I think there's going to be a big, I mean, I know there is, I'm already seeing it. There's a window of opportunity with foreclosures coming back online right now. And I think it's going to be an undertapped area, um, at least for the next couple months, next couple of years. And then the, I'm talking foreclosures that never got through from like 2018 that were all like paused because of COVID, but they were already processed, but they just never got to the courthouse steps, right? Those auctions are starting to happen again. So you're getting foreclosures that are from 2017. These banks just want to get rid of them, especially because banks are hurting right now. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm thinking um, while you're on the topic of foreclosures, I'm thinking of someone sitting on Zillow and they're going through and they see all these properties for sale and you, and you see foreclosure. What are the steps you take from there? Like, how do you even buy a foreclosure? Because it's a bit, it, the bank technically owns it, correct? Yeah. So, so usually up, so there's a lot of confusion with foreclosures, right? There's pre foreclosure, which means the, the bank basically said, Hey, you're late on your mortgage. We're going to foreclose on you. That could be years. It could take forever. Right. Then there's like, they, they try load modifications in this day and age. It takes a long time for people to get out. Um, what can end up happening is what ends up happening is they'll get foreclosed on once that foreclosure happens. That means the bank took it back, but they don't have, they didn't do anything with it yet. Then they go to the courthouse steps, courthouse steps, they go and they go to try to auction it off. Now people can cash buyers could buy it up at auction, but if the banks are at every auction. So if the bank, if the property doesn't go for what they maybe want it to go for, at least a bare minimum, they come and buy it back. At that point is when it's called REO, as we know it, right? Real estate owned, bank owned. Those get listed on MLS by realtors. There's usually realtors out there that specialize in these things. They get listings from banks and they list those. So those are the ones you want to look for. You want to look for foreclosures, bank owned. You don't want to look for like pre-foreclosure or bet foreclosed or even auctions really tricky for 203Ks for a number of reasons. But foreclosures are really what you're looking for. The bank owned properties. That's great. Thank you. That, that was a great explanation. And I don't think we've had that a lot on our show. Like not a lot of people have walked through it. So thank it's you. a big confusion, man. And it took me a long time to figure it out. I'll be yeah, honest with you. So no, it's perfect. So yeah. I guess right before the end of our show, I want to talk to you about your specific future goals. Like what are your future goals with the 203K, your flipping business? What do you see, you know, Matt doing in the next three to five years, like with your, with your business here? For sure, man. So, um, honestly, as it, as it turned out, um, you know, the, the, this whole 203K way community became something where I never thought it was going to be another almost business in and of itself. Um, people were asking me how to do it. I, I tell people, I mean, I'm an, I'm an open book. Like there's nothing that I hide behind any type of course or book or anything like that. I'm an open book, man. Um, but there's people that were like, Hey, can you help me with this? Like, can you, can you walk me through it? And I do that for people now. And it's been super rewarding. Um, it, it, something way cooler than flipping a house yourself is showing someone how to do it and watching them do it successfully is like way cooler and way more gratifying. Um, so I've been doing that. I've been doing my flipping business. Um, you know, I, as I told you, it slowed down with COVID, but during that I was helping people get into properties even during COVID. So that was taking up my time. Um, you know, long-term for me, like I, I want to ramp up to six to 12 flips a year. 
Um, and, and I've been, I've been pushing the off market game. That's been my goal in the last six months. And I've been, um, really getting good at it. And I'm really getting a lot of leads come in as of recently. So like my flipping game plans on picking up again, um, hopefully if everything keeps going well with the off market stuff. Um, so just continuing that and like, honestly, continuing this 203 K way community, which has again, become like this new, like thing where I, I just, I could do it all day. Like I, I, if I could do this forever, like I would love it because it's the most gratifying piece of piece of work that I do. Um, but really just to continue to flipping how continue to keep flipping houses, you know, get to that six to 12 deal a year mark and then start reinvesting back into, into buy and holds. I want to do the flip to, to help my dad build a nest egg. Um, you know, I want to get into, you know, help build a nest egg for my family, myself, um, with that liquid capital and then start going back to buy and holds again. Um, I, it's always been a, a long-term goal of mine, but long-term goals for mine is like, I think, um, I think like senior living is going to be a huge thing in the next 10 to 10 to 15 years with boomers um, hitting that age. Um, So like if I can find a way and break into that Avenue, it's a whole new world, but that's like a stretch goal for me. I always thought that would be a cool market and um, something that again, probably very rewarding to like build nice places for, for, for boomers kind of sailing off into the sunset to live. Um, So that's like a stretch goal is to like, like build multifamily or develop. Awesome. Really, really cool. And the six to 12, you know, deals a year, I'm sure it'll get there. It's a pretty cool. It's just pretty cool. I, we haven't got into flipping. We've talked about it. We love long-term strategy. So, you know, maybe there's a, Who knows? there's a chance to flip down the line, but that's very cool. You meant before we get into the last segment of the show, the, one last one for you, you mentioned a lot of off-market deals as opposed to MLS. What do you mean by that? You just mean like essentially building relationships and then you're just finding deals from people in your community now? Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously like, so it's a lot of tactics that are used in wholesaling, um, you know, sending mail out, uh, driving for dollars, driving for dollars is like just driving neighborhoods, looking for properties that are like the ugliest house on the nicest block. Um, we're doing that now for our forever home. Like literally just to clue you into that, like, because we're looking in such a tight radius, we want to live in a very small neighborhood because we want to be close to our family. And it's like kind of a small little bubble where we are. Um, but there's not much out there right now. And even when there is a lot out there, like there's only so much we can look for. That's like specifically what we want in the area that we want. Um, so what I've been doing is we've been writing letters saying like, literally like, Hey, my wife and I are interested in moving back into your town. We're expect, we have a baby on the way. We just wanted to know if there's any way you'd be willing to sell, but also focusing on properties that actually need work. Um, that way we can, you know, number one, get into it for a good price, hopefully. Um, but then also take it up, up long-term. I mean, I have my off market stuff right now is all come from mailing from driving for dollars. Um, driving for dollars, I think is kind of the most targeted way. If you don't have like an insane budget, um, the wholesalers that I know that are really killing it on like list mailing are mailing like 30 to $50,000 worth of mail a month. Um, and you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't have that. Like I'm not, like I, you know, not, not to put into marketing, <laughs> right, know, like right. not to yeah. put into marketing. Exactly. So like, I'm not there yet. Like I'm not ramped yeah. up there, there yet. So I, um, so I go more direct, I go driving for dollars and I just like take it right to the source. And I look distinctly for just, it takes more time, but I have a much higher success rate. I got a call yesterday. I got a call last week. Like I'm getting lots of calls coming in. I'm just fostering these relationships now and, and really just becoming a good person. Like I've found that authenticity is the best thing in this game, which is 
so overlooked. Um, and these days everyone wants to make a buck. I found that just listening to people has made me, got me so far in this game way further than just being in the beginning. I just cared all about money. Like when I was trying wholesaling and I think that's why I failed the first time this time I've gotten so much further, just like listening to people and like caring about them and like really trying to give them their best out, um, with whether it be like through, through, a cash sale or helping them get tenants out. There's one thing I was doing now, helping guys get tenants out, um, which I had never done before, but I just went and listened to the tenants and worked out cash for cash for keys deals with the tenants that the owner never, never could. He used me to do it. Right. And it was like, you know, it was just those little rewarding aspects that I get from it. So that's been my focus now and I'm doing it for my next 203k. And I'm also doing it for my flipping business blows my mind. A lot of people are just all about efficiency and driving for dollars to me seems very slow. And like, it you're is. literally going like you're driving past, past these properties in like hand to hand combat. But the cool thing that you're mentioning is like, it almost re- reminds me of like the tortoise and the hare, right? Like slow and steady wins the race. You're, oh yeah, you're, for sure. Working these relationships, you're getting your name out there and you're, you're listening, you're helping people. So that's incredible. Um, our next segment of the show is called the core four. And it basically is like personal questions just to get to know you a little bit and kind mm-hmm. of uh, how you tick. So cool. first off, I'm going to start. Do it. Yeah. First question is that we'll keep it pretty basic for you, but what's your favorite investing or business book and why? Okay. So I get asked this question a lot, obviously. And I always put rich dad, poor dad on the other side, because that's like a layup, easy answer. It's everybody's favorite book. Um, uh, Real estate book. I have to give a, a, a shout out to the book on managing rental properties by Brandon Turner from bigger pockets. Like I told you guys earlier, like I, when I got into this game, I had no idea what was ahead of me. So I just had to naturally do like whatever was next. I had to learn about. And when I finally got like done with the project, I'm like, okay, I've never been a landlord. I have no idea how to be a landlord. I know nothing about landlording. And I was like looking at other things and like that book I read start to finish. And like, I based my whole landlording business on that book, knock on wood. I've had the best tenants. Everyone pays on time. It's, it's a dream working with my tenants. And a lot of it is built off of that book. So if you have no idea about how to be a landlord, that book is like, it literally turns me into a landlord overnight. And I, and I've had the best experience since it's, so funny you say that because we use we both read the book we love it and the only struggle that we've ever had with any tenants are ones that we inherited that we couldn't like necessarily like kick out right away the ones that we've put in there have been great tenants and it's it's a tribute to that book too i literally use it as a bible i have it highlighted everything and i care i carry it with me everywhere my wife is like why do you carry your books everywhere didn't you already read oh me too yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. i just you know i kind of like look back at it sometimes i'm in the car cranking notes i'm like geez oh yeah chapter five it's i love that. that's a testament to a good book if you could bookmark it and highlight things and like go back and reference it that's how you know it's a good book in my opinion absolutely the um second question of the core four is uh What's been your biggest mistake that you've learned along your real estate investing and, and uh, flipping journey, two or three journey, hmm. and how have you learned from it? That's a good one. Um, I would have to say, I think I kind of alluded, I'd say maybe two things. Number one, I alluded it to before. I used to care too much about money and not about like, the, real estate's a service people business. The second I turned, I figured that out, everything changed. Like everything from like building relationships with realtors, with lenders, with sellers, with anybody in the game, like you putting your best foot forward, being a good human, like just like figuring out what makes the, like makes them tick and like what they want. And just like catering to that is like, 
I've gotten deals sent, like all my deals previous to COVID were like sent by realtors that just had off market deals that like sent and pitched them to me. Right. Like having that, but, but I did that by like actively being a good person, like following up with them, asking them how they were learning little details about them and like asking them how they're, how their whatever is going. Cause I, I remember from a previous call. So like focusing more on the fact that it's a people business first and money comes second. Um, because too many people, like, especially people that just get into wholesaling just for the money, like they don't actually care about the people. They just care about making the dollar. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing would be that on my flips, um, one of my biggest follies on a flip was I thought, I thought I, I got my taste too involved and I didn't go to what was selling in the market. And I, and I let my thoughts get in ahead of it. Like, so I thought that it was worth more than it was. Um, but the market was telling me something different, but I thought it was something different. And then <laughs> nice. like, That's same, mean. yeah. And same That's thing, mean, dude, hundred percent. Same thing with finishes, same thing with the way things look. There oh, were finishes man, that I hated in the last couple of years. Um, and like, I th- little hack, like for anyone, if you have any trouble with finishes, go on Zillow, look for the recently sold homes, look for what sold in the shortest amount of time, what those finishes look like, copy them. That's it. That's it. Like, don't, don't try to, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Like what's yeah. selling super fast in your market do that, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter. And that's, that, that was something that I figured out the <laughs> Dude, hard this way. This is so good because it's like, we're going to rent, we're in this process of doing this loan, but we're not going to sell. We're going to rent the property out. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, every time I walk in this property, I'm like, do not over rehab, do not over rehab, do not. And I'm thinking about it and I'm like, ah, that would look nice. But it's like, we have to just keep the mo- mindset is like, what are tenants going to want? What do they value? What's going to get the highest rent in out, like gone, like, you right. know, like that's it. And we have an idea of like, you have to remind yourself it's not your home that you're living in. It's it's you mean it needs to be tenant proof, right? And like that's oh, a oh, great buy and hold, yeah, especially yeah. Let's talk, let's talk specifically buy and hold. And like we have our own taste, right? We we keep being told this and we've done it before, but like gray walls, LVP floors, like a light gray-ish, and then have it durable, right? Like it the can't that can't be across the board though, right? Like, what are tips and tricks? Kind of like one that you mentioned, like hit Zillow, see the things that the finishes that uh, sold the quickest. Yeah. But I mean, obviously not so on Zillow. So then go into rentals in your market. I actually have it with one of the guys that I'm, that I'm, that I'm training and he's, he's got a, he bought a quadplex up in Albany and you know, he was like, what do I do with finishes? I was like, well, you want to rent to high end tenants? He's like, yeah. Okay. So go look at what all the high end rentals in your market are going for and what those finishes look like and just copy it. Like it's like the market's going to tell you what direction to go in. Right. I mean, listen with rentals, like you got to have some semblance of like, like, but what's cool these days is like with Lowe's and Home Depot and all these places to shop for finishes, like finishes aren't that expensive anymore. Like you can yeah. usually find like good looking, like trendy stuff and it's not going to break the bank. Just pick the cheaper version. Like don't go for like the carte blanche, like amazing version of it. Like get the, like don't overspend, but also like look, like make it look nice. Cause the other thing is too, is like, if you just fit it out, like an ugly, like crap rental you're gonna get ugly crap tenants like you're just gonna get be- like like listen like so true they're going to like if people look at it and they're like oh that's really nice that's something i want you're gonna get tenants that like go in that and they know it's nice and they want to pay top dollar for something if it's if it's fit out crappy and like it's got crappy everything they're gonna walk in like yeah you'll get tenants because people need places to live like that never changes but you're just maybe gonna get the wrong type of tenant yeah. Bathroom, kitchen floors. Like I'm just thinking of things that are like the cornerstones that really pop and like make it worthwhile. I think it's funny that we're talking about this stuff and like just hearing you say it 
people are going to, it's very basic, but people are going to go through it. You're going to be at home Depot looking at the finish and say, oh, yeah. damn, which one do I pick? Should I go for $4? Oh, yeah. Should I go for a buck in yeah. the vanities for a bathroom? hundred bucks. You can customize and build one for 500 bucks or just get the hundred buck one. That looks beautiful. Get them from Wayfair, man. That's where I get mine. Super yeah. cheap, super cheap. And they all look super nice. And like, yeah, you don't have to, you know, again, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, one other thing that I could say is with countertops, just go quartz. Quartz is like, it's expensive, but it's absolutely worth it. It holds up. And it's, it's not that, it's, it's not that expensive. It's not like right. not marble, but quartz I've, I've put quartz in my rentals on the countertops and like, you really have to try to break quartz. Um, and again, I get good tenants in, so I'm not really too worried about them breaking it. Um, it I shelled out the little extra money, but it's, 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 I mean, they, it looks, it looks that it looks the same that it did when I bought it and it's, and it's, and it holds up long-term. Awesome. Great. Question three, you're up. Question three. So who is your who for 2021? By meeting this person, you feel that your business will be taken to an exponentially higher level. Or if you can't think of someone right now, who has someone that you've met and has allowed you to take your business to the next level just by having them as your either mentor or their presence and, and guide? Um, okay. Uh, so I guess first, number one is um, uh, who, I mean, I would love to get on the Bigger Pockets podcast uh, just because I feel like it's got a good reach and I feel like no one talks about the 203K appropriately. Yeah. Um, so, you know, getting on their podcast and being able to talk about, a lot of people on bigger pockets know about the 203k loan but they there's just even on the bigger pockets i just see misinformation just spewed even by people that are supposedly know what they what they're doing um and it's and it's kind of infuriating to me and and it, it, it probably beats me up more than it should um but it's also the reason why i strayed away from things for so long because there's just this perpetuated like garbage information out there so like if i could just set the record straight and like go on a podcast and like really that I know has a big viewership of people that know that this loan's out there, but maybe have been told the wrong things about it. I think that would just be super gratifying to me and just have bring more people into my world and hopefully give people that are struggling another chance, you know, at, at giving a 203k a shot and doing it the right way that, you know, the way that I know has worked for so many other people and is like a proven way. Um, so I think that would be the first thing. Um, the second who of like people that have uh, taught me. So I was actually lucky enough to be on uh, this guy, Stefan Arnio's podcast last year. Um, Stefan Arnio, you guys might know him. He was a, uh, he was a really big fix and flipper in, um, in, in Canada. He, he has this whole big mantra on like how he teaches it. And, um, I had the opportunity to meet him, um, on the podcast. He brought me on on the podcast and he talked, he started talking to me about my flipping business and like put it into perspective on like what, like things I was doing wrong and like things I had wrong. Like, I thought you had to flip with your own money. I thought like I, he just put everything into perspective for me because he was flipping like, 20, 40 houses a year. Right. So he's where I wanted to be. Um, so we got to talking and he took me under his wing and, and I became a mentor, a mentee of his, um, he sadly passed away from a super aggressive cancer at 30 I think I heard about three years he old. Like a yeah. big Instagram, right? Like, oh yeah. Huge. He still does. Um, and, yeah, uh, it was, it was literally around this time last year, he passed away like right as COVID started. It wasn't from COVID. It was from a very aggressive cancer. Um, but he basically changed the way I look at investing and, and real estate and, and actually him, it, he changed the way I look at like being a good person and like having a good sale. Like he basically said like everything revolves around having good skill sets. 
getting good at negotiating, getting good at being like sales. Sales doesn't mean like being salesy sales mean like a good salesperson understands their client and what they need. Um, so he, he really changed a lot for me with that. Also, like he has his own education business and he, I, he mentored me through a lot of like me, like beginning to build the 203 K way and like how to do it right and how to serve people the best way. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, we, he was a huge loss for me. Um, and, uh, you know, but he, he really helped me kind of get off, you know, number one, with my flipping business changed kind of my mental, my mentality, which has helped me so much. And then also from the, from the 203 K way business, like how to build a community, how to teach people the right way, how to get, the right people in and, and, and assist them to, to hitting their goals. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's very sad that I heard about that, that he passed away. I'm glad you got to, to be a mentee of his. So very, cool. yeah, it was a short time, but he made a big impact on me on a short time. Yeah. So now we're kind of sort of on the topic a little bit here in terms of, and you mentioned this with the retirement home. Uh, but what the fourth question is, what do you want your legacy to be? And this is, it's, um, it's a, Steve. it's a deep philosophical type question, but it's more yeah. like, you know, you, you seem like you really want to help people and you're a good person and you want to be that good person. I'm just curious. What's what's why, why you even do all this? Right. Um, yeah, man, I, I think, uh, I, I, yeah, if I could leave a lasting impression on enough people, I mean, again, th this has been I, the, the messages I get from people, like, you know, just seeing people like, you know, I had during COVID, I had people do two or three K's and like them standing in front of it with their family being like, I, I made 50 K equity on this deal in like three months. And like, just like, if I could just do more of that, like for the rest of my life, that's like from a legacy, like from a business standpoint, like that, again, it beats flipping. Like it just, it, it, it like flipping's great too. I will say like one underappreciated thing with flipping is like on every flip that I did seeing those families get the keys is like, it's like emotional for me, like seeing people and like love the house that me and my dad worked together to build was like, Oh, like I got emotional one time. Like I didn't even expect it. I like started tearing up at the closing table because this, this couple was tearing up because they had been looking for a house for so long. And they're like, this was the house that they always dreamed of and stuff. Um, so I bought a flip. I wish the guy who flipped my home was more like you. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, it, and, and it's like, I guess, you know, I just have a, I just have that side of me that I hope never goes away. Um, with any level of success. And, um, you know, I think just, just continue number one, you know, on the two or three K way side, just seeing more people that never thought they had a chance of getting into this game, finally get a chance. Um, and then on the flipping side, um, you know, just getting more people and helping build communities and like, just seeing like people appreciate something that I worked on, um, yeah. and, and see it benefit them. Awesome. Cool. Well, seeing your, as you're on the weekly juice, we finally made it to the last drop, the last segment of the show. Yes, and essentially this question is, is pretty basic, but if you could go back in time and give yourself advice on maybe mistake, prior mistake you've made, just anything that if you could go back in time and say, Hey Matt, do this differently. What would you do and why? Um, getting rich slow is way cooler than getting rich fast. Um, I got rich quick in a couple different avenues in my twenties. Um, and I had a lot of fun in my twenties, but I also, and I spent a lot of money in my twenties. Um, I have enough to show for it where I felt like I didn't completely blow it. Um, but on the same token, like now that I'm like entering into my thirties and like, I, you know, I have, 
a baby on the way and like just puts it into perspective that like wealth, long-term wealth is way cooler. And like getting rich slow is way, way cooler than like trying to hit it big on a penny stock or like all watching all these kids like chase GameStop stocks and like just to make a quick like five grand or even if they make a quick five grand. One thing I learned is the faster money comes in, the faster it goes out. All the slow wealth I've built isn't going anywhere. All the fast money that I've made instantly went away. Like it came in literally as quick as it went out. A good analogy for this is like, look at, look at music artists over the years. Look at, look at like, look at like someone like, you know, the Rolling Stones versus like, I don't know. Uh, I'm not good with this, but like, you know, a, a recent a one, like, hit wonder, one, hit a one hit wonder, right? Like, you know, someone that we like, Oh, where the heck did they go? Right. And it's like the same thing. It ha- it's like kind of a, it's a kind of like a, a universal rule in life, right? Like, you know, the longer you work at something, the longer and sustaining it's going to be. If you like somehow hit it big on something, I mean, you see with the lottery winners, right? Like they get make, you know, hundred million dollars and they blow it all. Like it's crazy, but people, but it's just the reality. Like you have to learn over time how to like the other thing too, is like, if you can't manage 10 grand, don't think you're going to manage a hundred grand. Don't think that you're going to be able to know how to manage a million people that tell me like, how do I get started into the 203 K loan? I have no money. I'm like, get money. I'm like, you don't need much. You need 10 grand. Anybody with a job that has some semblance of discipline can easily save up 10 grand. It doesn't take long with a, with a modest saving habit. I'm not saying you have to eat rice for the rest of your life, but 10 grand is not that hard to do. And if you can't do that simple thing, what makes you think that once you got given 10 grand or once you got given a million dollars that you're going to know how to manage that and it's not going to just get blown out like overnight. So um, yeah, that's what I would say is just maybe save a little, not even save a little more, but just like spend it on things that are going to be like not instant gratification, but delayed gratification for me. That's why we love real estate, man. Like it's not get rich quick. It's get rich definitely right like so yep. that's that's the whole idea so exactly um, awesome matt we really appreciate you coming on uh it was a it was great having you learning about your specific niche and uh we want to thank you if people want to get in touch with you and they want to learn more about you maybe take your course what's the best way they can get in touch cool um so my number one uh what ended up happening my number one uh platform has been instagram oddly enough which kind of was a weird one to go on first. Um, but my Instagram at the, it's at the two Oh three K way, but it's at the two zero three K way, obviously, you know, whatever it gets confusing sometimes. So 203 K way. Um, so my Instagram number one, um, you know, if anybody wants to know like exactly kind of how I got started with this, um, I did a one hour free training masterclass. It's basically all the basics just to get you like, again, I go really heavy into like that lender finding thing, like how to find, like how to build the team, then how I looked for deals and then how I run the numbers on 203k deals in my market. And it's a, and it's a full baseline um, on just how to get started. If you could, if I could go and do it all over again um, and you can get that at the 203k way um, www.the203kway.com slash free training. Um, and that, that'll walk you through it and um, give you a good baseline. And then from there, I give you a lot of different options to, um, you know, follow me or, or follow my program or whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, I tell everybody I'm an open book. I give everything of every bit of information away for free. Um, you know, if anybody is interested on really just having like 
they're handheld through the process. I offer that too, but I've had plenty of people that just go through my stuff and they send me a DM and they're like, Hey man, I bought a quadplex because of your posts on Instagram in DC. And I made a, you know, I get 2k a month in cash flow on it. So those are pretty awesome to see. Great. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, thanks so much, Matt. We had a, we had a blast. This yeah. is awesome and super informative on a, definitely a different avenue and niche. It was like, perfect timing. Yeah. Absolutely perfect timing. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And if you guys, you know, have questions, I'm always here. Yeah. Thank you very much.